and really uh, this morning is, is kind of laying the groundwork for the remainder of this chapter in chapter number two, but also it, it kind of lays the groundwork for the rest of the book, uh, the letter of Ephesians, because God is trying to move us from the place where we realized who we were before Christ and how Christ has changed us, he's transformed us, he's literally raised us from the dead, uh, from, from dead works to, to alive in Jesus Christ. And then he now introduces us to another, I guess an element of what God is trying to accomplish in our lives. Um, if I could put it to you this way, Write down for me two things which you think is probably the best church member, the, the qualities or the attributes of the best church member is. Just write down two things of what you think a, a, a good church member is. Just two things. What do you think those things would be? Okay, who would like to share their two things? Go ahead. We won't think bad about you if you say something weird. <laughs> Faithful, okay. Prayer warrior, Prayer warrior okay. Servant. Servant. Okay, they obey God. Anybody else? Compassionate, Omer? Saved and loving. Okay. Humble, okay. Very good. I got that one in the bag, by the way. Just kidding. <laughs> What else? Anybody else? What is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, this, this portion of scripture kind of really introduces us to, to thinking about um, what we were before Christ and you know, there's there's some words in here that we don't we don't use on a regular basis, such as circumcision, uncircumcision, blood. I mean, these these kind of seem a little foreign to us, uh, as we're going to read here in just a moment. And I, I want you to sense the there's a tension that is in this passage of scripture that Paul is trying to address uh, to these believers that were living here in Ephesus. And what was going on as far as with a, uh, it could have been a racial tension, it could have been a religious tension, but there was tension between uh, Jews and Gentiles. And uh, I think you'll see that, but I want you to see this all within its whole context because all of this, verses 11, uh, basically uh, through the remainder of the chapter is, is all together, but we don't have time to look at all of it. We're just going to look at a little portion of it, but hopefully we'll build on that uh, in, the, in the coming weeks here. So let's read here this, uh, this passage here, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world." 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And verse 13 is really the key that I believe unlocks the, the remainder of this passage as what he says here. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I think we don't attribute enough attention and meaning to the necessity of what the blood of Christ has accomplished. Um, I don't think we, we give much importance to what the blood of Christ has done. And when looking at these verses here, you, you see these words as circumcision and uncircumcision and blood. And, and these things seem pretty strange when we're talking about them. And I believe it's because they're not part of our cultural makeup, our cultural fabric of who we are as, as people. I mean, we don't go walking around saying, well, there's an uncircumcised person right there. We don't talk like that. Um, but this was something that was a reality during this time. Uh, this is how uh, these people lived and this is how what they talked about and, and, and they, they viewed people and how they, how they reacted to people. Uh, during the Second World War, especially over there in, when uh, uh, Germany invaded Poland and they began to segregate out the Jews from everybody else. Uh, one of the first things that they began to do was began to, that they told them they had to wear a certain patch on their coat, which signified that they were different, that they were set apart. And then they began to, to mistreat them harshly. Uh, then they moved them into ghettos. They told them they could only have a certain amount of money. Uh, they could only have a certain amount of food. Then, of course, you know what they did. Uh, part of Hitler's final solution was to put all those people on trains and send them out to extermin extermination camps. And, uh, you know, you have to think about this here in the book of Ephesians that Paul is trying to remind these Gentile believers of what they were like before they knew Christ. And this was affecting... Uh, not just their, their relationship with God, but it was affecting their relationship with other believers. And I do believe that there's something here in here for this in this text that God wants us to know that who we are in Christ, that yes, we've been saved. Yes, we've been blessed. Yes, we've, we've had all these spiritual blessings heaped upon us. But I believe Ephesians 2 lays some important groundwork for us of knowing now that we know that we are saved as believers, how does our relationships interact with others? I mean, because, you know, let's face it, the Christian life is not just about me and Jesus. The Christian life is supposed to be me and Jesus and my other brothers and sisters in Christ. All of us, if you know Christ as your Savior here this morning, we are supposed to have relationships with one another. We're supposed to be connected, not just like some of that far distant relative type stuff. You know, when you go to a family reunion and you, you don't know anybody there. That's weird, isn't it? Well, we're supposed to have a closer-knit relationship than just something that's far off where we should be near uh, to one another. 
And so our salvation is more than just this resurrecting us from life to death as we saw in verses 1 through 10. And the broader picture is to resurrect all of mankind. I mean, that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 9. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ uh, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and in things on earth. And so there's this broader picture of salvation than just being resurrected to new life in Christ as in uh, verses 1 through 10. And so it's, it's this picture to, to reunite and to fix the disharmony and to fix the brokenness that is in the world that we see. I mean, you think about it. All through life, people have been separated into groups. Think about it just for a moment. Rich and poor. How about slaves and free men during the New Testament times? I mean, Paul goes into great lengths about talking about how the, how the, how the owners are supposed to treat their slaves. Uh, how about uh, husbands and wives? Uh, there's, there's many things. It says that uh, I came across a thing uh, that Josephus said one time. He said that Jews actually used to pray, Lord, I'm thankful that I am neither, uh, I'm not a Gentile nor a woman. I mean, there's some great hostility there that, that was separating people into groups. Uh, the Greeks and the barbarians, I mean, the Greeks considered themselves as some people that were great of great sophistication. They had this advanced language. They knew all of this stuff, and yet everybody who was not a Greek was a barbarian to them. So there was this, this, this brokenness of, of how, we, how we look at people, how we treat people. And evidently here in the book of Ephesians, it's between Jews and Gentiles. Ephesians chapter number 2 basically tells us about the new position that we have as a corporate body of believers together. And how that body of believers is to work with one another. Because it's not, Jesus doesn't look and says, well that person's Jew, that person's Gentile. When we come to Christ, as the Ephesians chapter number 2 lays this out for us, that we come united as one. That we're all united under one spirit. We all have access to the same God. And we have the same privileges, the same rights. And so if you're a Gentile, count yourself. This is great news to you because you have been brought under this family that God has given us. Through Jesus Christ. And how is it done? Through the blood of Christ. That when we were once far off, we were brought near. So basically, if Paul was writing today, he could have written about possibly blacks versus whites. Republicans versus Democrats. Rich versus poor. Police versus everyone else. He could have wrote something, maybe even something that we might look at as Christians versus Muslims. And this is what's going on. It's the Jews versus the Gentiles. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. He's saying, remember. And look at that word, remember. He tells us twice. Remember. Remember. Therefore, therefore, Paul says, everything that I just told you in verses 1 through 10, everything about your spiritual blessings of who you are in Christ, therefore, remember what? That at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, 
called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. How would you like to be branded by somebody just, oh look, there's an uncircumcised person right over there. How many of you had a, uh, a, a nickname when you were in grade school or middle school? Some of you. How many of you liked your nickname that was given to you? Some of you. My last name's Bird. You don't have to think very hard. You imagine all the things that came to mind with the name Bird. By the time I got into high school, I didn't even have a first name anymore. It was just Bird. <laughs> Paul says that these Gentiles, look what he says, you were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. The Jews called them the uncircumcised. And so Paul is basically saying that there's this hostility that was going on during this time. And he's trying to call them to remembrance of what they used to be like. Of how they used to be portrayed or how they used to be viewed by others. Now I have to ask myself this question then. If Paul was saying and calling for a remembrance of why they used to be this way. Why? Why does he bring them attention to this? Could it be that as we read in the book of Revelation that Paul or that Jesus commends them about all these things that they're able to do but yet they've forgotten their first love? Could it be that these uh, Ephesians, uh, Christians that were living here in Ephesus, that they finally got to the place where they began to look down upon other people? Maybe other people that maybe started to come into their congregation? And they said, well, you know, they weren't like us. They're not, they're not really like us. Could that be the reason for the writing of this? I'm not entirely sure. But one thing we can know is that because this is given by inspiration of God, that there is a command here for us to remember of what we used to be like. Not so that we would wallow in our guilt and in our sin, but so that we would call to remembrance that of the great accomplishment that God has done by giving us his son Jesus and the shedding of his blood has brought us near to God now because we were at one time afar off. So I want to show you six things here in this passage real quickly that show us our condition before we were saved. And so this is a command that Paul tells us to remember. So here's the first one. Number one, that we were Gentiles in the flesh. The difference between Jew and Gentile was basically circumcision. That was it. The Jews prided themselves on this outward sign of being part of God. And that was the fact that they were circumcised. And so since circumcision was the outward sign, it showed that they were covenant, they were part of God's covenant that God basically looked at them and says, boy, you are the ones that I really like. And Paul actually kind of pokes fun of this and makes fun of it because he says, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. 
And really, the, the circumcision that matters is the circumcision of the heart, is what Paul describes in the book of Romans, chapter number 8. How the fact that we've become believers in Christ and our, and our heart has been circumcised and, and we've come into a relationship with God now. Not because we were mutilated uh, by workings of the hands of the flesh. Paul says we are now circumcised in the heart and at one time we were Gentiles in the flesh and the Jews were very proud of this. This was something that they, that they wore as like kind of a badge of honor. They took great, great pride in this. So something that they probably spoke about. I remember Paul speaking about as he said, you know, I'm a Jew of the Jew. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was circumcised the eighth day of the, of the stock of Benjamin. Look at all my credentials here. This is something that they took great pride in. Some of the things that the Jews were, were so proud in is this circumcision, and they would not want to have any dealings with Gentiles. Here's just a few of the things. Number one, it was unlawful to help a Gentile woman during childbirth because you would actually be enabling a Gentile, a filthy, disgusting Gentile, to actually come into this world. They didn't want any part of it. They didn't want to go into the homes of Gentiles because they figured if they went in there, they'd become unclean. When they were traveling around and they were coming back into the holy city of Jerusalem, they would actually shake the dust off of their feet because they didn't want to bring in Gentile dust into the holy land. This is how much animosity that they had towards Gentiles. Remember the time when Jesus was speaking to the woman that was at the well? She was a Samaritan. She was basically half Jew, half Gentile. And remember, she said, why are you talking to me? You know that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so there was this animosity towards them. Secondly, we see at one time, look at this, that they were without Christ. The Ephesians, for the most part, worshipped the goddess of Diana. They were, they were idol worshippers. We read in the book of Acts 19. Let's turn over there, Acts chapter number 19. Paul goes to Ephesus, and he's there at Ephesus. He's preaching. He encounters some believers there that were at Ephesus. He's spending time in the synagogues teaching. And look what it says here in uh, verse number 11. It says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists... These are the professionals that show up. Look what it says. Undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaimed. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the res residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. 
Now look at this. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver which probably be like a million dollars today. I mean this is this is great gospel power that is at work in Ephesus and Paul is saying remember at that one time that you were like this, that you were at one time without Christ, that you knew nothing about who Jesus was, that you knew nothing about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, that you practiced these dark arts. It says here in, uh, in uh, chapter 18, that it says that they, that, they, that they were there in Ephesus and they were talking about this, uh, this statue Artemis, and they were, they were proclaiming how great Artemis was. I mean, they were at one time without Christ. And so the Ephesians, before they were saved, were without respect. They had no respect. They were despised by the Jews. They were without Christ. And look at this next thing. Thirdly, they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Look what he says here. He says, remember that one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Another way of saying this is that we were excluded from being part of God's people. Have you ever been excluded before? How does that feel? Remember when you were a kid and everybody was lining up to play a game and they were choosing sides and there was like... It came down to the last few people and you were in those last few people and there was like a kid that had like crutches. There was you and then there was like, I mean, and you didn't even get picked yet even though you could run. I mean, you were excluded. So what Paul's saying here is you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You see, Israel, they, they had special blessings, protection, they had love, they had covenants, they had the priesthood, they had sacrifices, they had the promises and the guidance that God that gave to Israel. And when we became Christians, guess what? We joined in some of those benefits by being the people of God. We get to be a part of that. And Paul's saying, remember, remember, remember at one time, you were not part of this, but now you are. Fourthly, look what he says here, that we were strangers to the covenants of promise. He says that we were strangers to the covenants of promise. You see, God did not make covenants with Gentile nations. He made his promises with his people, the Jews. And we were strangers from that. We didn't get to be take part of that. You see, Gentiles were considered strangers and aliens. They were considered people that, heathens, you didn't want to be around them. And many of the Jewish Pharisees would pray daily, Oh God, I give thanks that I am a Jew, not a Gentile. Because they had these special covenants that Gentiles didn't have. Fifth, look what he says. We're also supposed to remember that we were without hope. Boy, that describes the life of the unsaved person, doesn't it? Without hope. We wonder why there's so much turmoil that goes on in this world. It's because people don't have hope. 
You think about if people lose their jobs and their health is failing, their possessions are threatened, they, they, everything that they've worked so hard for in life, everything that they've given everything for in their life, they've lost it all, there's no hope. What do they have to look forward to? Nothing. And Paul says, remember at one time that you were without hope. I mean, not even just the little light glimmer of anything. Nothing. Hopelessness. wonder why so many people turn to suicide today. Because they're without hope. They feel that everything is gone. There's nothing left for them. They were without hope. But see, as Christians, we do have hope. We will see this a little bit more clearly as we go down through this chapter, but we do have hope. Look with the sixth thing he says, that we were without God. He says, without God. That's a scary place to be in. You think of everything that everybody has in the world. Jesus said it very well. He said, what would, a man, what would it gain a man if he could gain the whole world, but yet lose his soul? Right? And here, the book of Ephesians tells us to remember that one time that we were without God. You see, the Ephesians had many gods. They worshipped many gods. Remember when Paul uh, went to uh, Mars Hill and he l- was looking around and they, they had to this God, to this God, to this God, to this God, to this God. And they had so many gods that they eventually had this one God. They said, to the unknown God... And Paul said, this is the one I'm going to declare to you. He's the one that made everything. This is the one that you need to worship. The unknown God. A lot of people have a lot of gods in this world, but they don't have the God of the Bible. They have many Christ, false Christ that do not save. And Paul says, remember at one time that you were without hope, without God. So Paul tells us that we are to remember all this. Now what for? What for? What's the reason, Paul? How does this, what is the purpose of all this? How will this help me in my Christian life and in my identity in Christ? What is the reason to remember all this? Let's look here closely at verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you, notice this, who were once far off, way out there, Way, way, way out there. Look what he says. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ has done this amazing work. Paul told us in Ephesians 1, 7 that it was through his blood that we have to able to have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And here the blood of Christ is also able to do a transforming work in bringing those who were far off near to God their circumstances have changed how? the blood of Christ their relationships have changed how? by the blood of Christ their status has changed how? by the blood of Christ their position has changed how? by the blood of Christ their outlook has changed how? by the blood of Christ of Christ. And so the blood of Christ has changed the way that people are now able to access God. It's no longer about being a Jew or a Gentile. It's now and through Jesus Christ, 
He is not the one of many ways. He is the only way. And so Paul is saying, remember, remember, remember that Christ has done this transforming work and he's brought you near to himself. So here it is. So if Christ has changed my life in relation to him, as described in Ephesians 1 through 10, how I was, how I was once dead in my trespasses and sins, I followed the course of this world, I did what my desires, my, my flesh and my heart desired. He says, if that's how I used to live, and now I've been transformed, I've been resurrected by this, by this amazing, powerful work, he basically... What should my attitude then? How has Christ changed my life in relation now to other people? That's why I asked you, what is the ideal church member? Do we have a preconceived idea of the type of people that we want here? They were no better than the Jews that were here in Ephesians. We looked at people as if, oh, oh, we can't, no, 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 no. And Paul's saying, you remember, you remember. You were at one time treated like this, but you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's why I believe you cannot give the gospel to the wrong person. We cannot. Eighteen thousand three hundred and four. Say, so what's that? Five mile radius of this location here. There's eighteen thousand three hundred and four sinners. What preconceived ideas do we have about people like that? So as Paul goes on here. He says, we'll continue looking in the rest of this chapter in the weeks to come. We'll see how this transforming work of the blood of Christ is not just affects our relationships, but it's supposed to affect the entire congregation, the whole body of Christ, and how our relationships are supposed to work together. So I want to challenge you this week. Remember, remember what you were like before Christ. Let's pray together.